Good afternoon and welcome to East Leeds FM here in Leeds Town Hall on Yorkshire Day. Happy Yorkshire Day to all our listeners wherever you are in Leeds, beyond and the world. In an hour's time we're going to be hearing uh, an organ recital in this wonderful city organ uh, which we can see from where we're, we're sitting now uh, by the Leeds City organist Darius Batiwala. Obviously this is an event, an audience free event which is a great shame due to the corona cri uh, crisis but the great thing about it is that we can broadcast this event to you wherever you are. In the next hour, we're going to be hearing from Councillor Judith Blake, leader of the Leeds City Council. We're going to be hearing from members of the public about their memories and associations with this wonderful building. We're going to be up in the organ chamber with Darius himself, uh, guiding us around that wonderful space and introducing us to this fantastic instrument, Leeds City Organ. And we're going to be talking to people who work here in Leeds Town Hall. And we're going to be talking about their experience at the moment and looking forward to the future when we can return in force uh, to this wonderful building for the free organ concerts as well as for the fantastic concerts that are planned in the next year. So with me here in Leeds, in Leeds City, in the Leeds Town Hall, is Rachel Unsworth, geographer and academic and historian. Hello, Rachel. Hello there. And also Lanray Adelaide, who is a young broadcaster with us at East Leeds FM, up at Chapel FM Art Centre in Seacroft. Hello, Lanray. Hello. Thanks both for joining us today. Uh, so first of all, Rachel, uh, you know a great deal about Leeds in general, and we're going to be hearing about your city walking tours. But first of all, tell us about this wonderful building and what kind of things happen here. The part of the building where we are now, the Victoria Hall, was designed as a concert hall with this monstrous, wonderful organ. And uh, there are still many different kinds of musical events here, including concerts by the Leeds Philharmonic Chorus that's been going since the 1870s. I've been to many different kinds of concerts here. Uh, also, the Leeds uh, International Piano Competition, founded by our very own Dame Fanny Waterman, who's just turned 100. And so we've heard, so many of the world's best musicians have played on this very stage. It's quite humbling, isn't it? Uh, quite different. I've been to prog rock, also to conferences and civic events here. And uh, the beer festival that started in 2012, and it takes over the whole of the hall, including the old police cells uh, beneath where we are now. And uh, then there's the, uh, the citywide film festival, and the town hall always features in light night every October. Uh, and then we've got uh, the register office and the citizenship ceremonies. And actually there are three weddings taking place in the town hall today. In fact, I saw the bridesmaids down in the corridor just a minute ago. And we, in a little while we're going to be hearing from somebody who was married here and has very fond memories of being married here in this building. So, Rachel, yes, you obviously are a great admirer of this place. What, what you're, yeah, how do you feel about this wonderful space? Well, of course, it's Victorian and pompous, and there we have Labor Omnia Vincit, um, work conquers all, not uh, love conquers all, on the uh, freeze going around this incredibly ornate place. Uh, but it does raise the spirits, and that was the intention of, of building it as a really uh, phenomenally impressive place. Well, we're going to be hearing a bit more about the history of the building uh, from Darius, but also from Rachel later on in this first hour before the recital at one o'clock. 
Lanro, let's come to you. I mean, you are, this is what, well, this is your first time in this building. So, uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you reckon to it? Well, obviously, um, when I walked in, just as we were coming in this morning, I know, basically, the first thing I noticed was probably the pillars. And the kind, I don't want to say wallpaper, because it's probably not wallpaper. I probably think it would be. Um, but the texture on them, like the, I want to say salmon colour, um, or probably tuna. Um, and like the blue and the cracks kind of in it, it just it just it's interesting it's and you know as well as that even the stalls um, and how colorful it is it's just it's just stunning that's it is an amazing place, isn't it? So, yeah, for you, these massive pillars. Some, some of you listening might be in other countries who have fond memories of being here. Um, all, again, all sorts of people have all sorts of wonderful memories of this building, and it's one of my favourite buildings in the world. I've only been in Leeds for about 25 years, so I can't count myself a true Yorkshireman, but I really do love this building. I know. Rachel's tatty. <laughs> Lanray, we're going to be hearing from Councillor uh, Judith Blake in a minute, mm-hmm. and she's obviously the the leader of Leeds City Council. Um, you've just been elected to the UK Youth Parliament. Tell us a bit about your first few months as a, as a young politician. What's it like? Well, obviously, with um, COVID-19 and, and stuff, it's, uh, it's been an interesting experience because, obviously, we're kind of all adjusting to Zoom and, um, you know, online working. And it's just been interesting just... Um, working with like the campaign group on you know campaigns that they've been working on uh, previous um, to me joining and just um, others like regional work and just even local work as well well it sounds it's it's, it's a brilliant thing to be involved in and what we're just briefly what, why I mean it sounds like an obvious question but why should young people be getting into politics well because depending on how old you are but when you turn 18 you obviously you'll be able to vote and it's kind of important to know the importance of your vote. So, for for instance, you know, obviously the politics. I can't I can't be party politics right now. But obviously, for whatever um, political party anyone affiliates with, it's kind of important to know. Uh, important to kind of feel yourself. Who do I value the most, and what values do I want to kind of um, instill on my local MP and even the government um, who are in charge. Well, it's a brilliant thing to be doing. And, we, and stay with us because we'll, we'll, I'd, I'd love to know a bit more about how it works, the Youth Parliament, and also what you're planning. Um, thanks, both of you, for being here as guests with us, with, with us today. So, um, earlier in the week, I spoke to Councillor Judith Blake, as I mentioned just now, leader of Leeds City Council, about what Yorkshire Day and Leeds Town Hall mean to her. I think it's fair to say that Yorkshire Day is one of those events that has um, has snuck up on us a bit in the last few years. I, I you know, I, I can't remember when I first became aware of it, but um, personally, in my role as leader of Leeds City Council, um, I was a great proponent of um, securing a devolution deal for the whole of Yorkshire. I think the um, the Yorkshire brand is incredibly strong. It's recognised across the world. If you talk about you know, Yorkshire, the place people know exactly what you're talking about. It's very distinctive. Um, and I still believe that um, the government has missed a trick, actually, that we should have had a Yorkshire devolution deal. Um, and that would have been so powerful in the current situation that we're in, facing the 
recovering from the economic shock, shocks around COVID, um, getting prepared for very different um, trading situation as we leave the European Union. But Yorkshire Day has become uh, such a symbolic thing. And just going around at the moment, you'll see already the flags are hanging out. This place that we're in, the Leeds Town Hall, obviously you, you must have many associations, memories of it and about it. Um, what does it mean to you, this building of ours here? Um, I have one memory um, for some bizarre reason when I was um, at school. We ended up having um, a prize giving session in the town hall. And my abiding memory of that is um, being instructed as we walked across the stage to pull our skirts right down so they covered our knees because we didn't want to give the, the men on the front row a heart attack because we were it was a time when everyone was wearing miniskirts and um, everyone was very worried about the impact that we would, we would have in, on the audience. It's such an incredible building for all of us, isn't it? And I, um, I actually lived away from Leeds for a while and my two older kids were born in the, in the Midlands. And um, when we came back to visit, to visit family, and we came off the motorway into Leeds. The um, shout of joy that went up from all of the kids in the car when we saw the lions on the front of the town hall was something really special. So every time I see those lions, it just reminds me of um, coming home. We're very keen to get the cultural life of the city going again. Um, obviously the town hall has an incredible part in that with a, you know, one of the largest concert venues for the international orchestras coming in. But there are so many other ways that we can come together, you know, in, um, you know, the, the, the work that people have been doing online with music, choirs, socially distanced dance, outdoors, all of these things. The innovation that we've seen over the last few months is something that we need to get a hold of and make sure. Um, I don't think certain aspects of our lives will ever be the same again. So thank you so much to Councillor Judith Blake for talking to us. You're listening to East Leeds FM from Leeds Town Hall on Yorkshire Day. Just a quick word about us. We broadcast from Chapel FM Arts Centre up in East Leeds. We've been broadcasting for probably nearly 20 years now. But for the last five years, we've been in our very beautiful building up on the edge of Seacroft Green, Seacroft Methodist Chapel. We're a community radio station. Um, Lan Ray, who we've talked about, talked to earlier, uh, comes to us as a young volunteer broadcasters. We have writers, we have musicians. We do a lot of work in education around the city, and it's great to be here today in Leeds Town Hall. So we've also been talking to members of the public about the Town Hall and asking them for some of their favorite memories. So we're going to be hearing now from Anne Clark, followed by Deborah Park, then Linda Casper and Richard Thompson. for their school concert 
which they grandly called Speech Day, but every year they did a performance for parents and friends and so on. Um, and so my, my main memory is one year when uh, they were doing a, a production of the opera by Engelbert Humperdinck, the Hansel and Gretel opera, and I had to sing the part of Hansel. So um, it was a big occasion for me, but not because of the performance. It was just that at that time I was living in uh, quite a modest council house in a very deprived part of Seacroft. So for me to go into that building and stand on a stage and look out into that beautiful hall, it was just absolutely stunning. So it's a memory that I always have, really. And obviously you've been in the town hall since on occasion. Does it still mean a lot to you, the town hall? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it's still got that wonderful... I don't know, it's so grand, isn't it? It's, and and it's, um, it says something about the city. It says something about the arts, you know, and how the arts can be a very wonderful experience and, uh, you know, a life-enhancing experience, really. wonderful memories of the town hall. We got married there on the 6th of January 2001 in the main hall. Um, the reason that we got married in the town hall is a bit of a strange story because we didn't originally intend to. We were supposed to be getting married in the summer of 2001 but uh, our daughter was really poorly. She had a genetic condition and we knew that she wasn't going to live for very long. So we brought our wedding forward hoping that she'd make it um, but unfortunately she didn't and she died um, on the 14th of December a few weeks before so all of our family had to come up for the funeral and um, spent some time with us and then they came back up on the 6th of January but that didn't make it a sad occasion it was a very beautiful and very poignant ceremony and we had a fantastic party afterwards where the love in the room was was quite evident so we got married on the stage we had about 100 people and they sat on the choir risers and um, we decided that because we weren't getting married in a church that we would face our audience and um, the registrar had their back to them. So we stood there, it was like being in some kind of strange play where we, we, we looked at everybody and we could see the smiles and the love from everybody. One of, the, one of our friends who did a reading was wearing a high collared white shirt and uh, both of our grandparents thought that she was he was um, a vicar so that made them very happy so they were pleased with that and afterwards we stood outside and the twinkling lights were still on because it was it was Christmas time and I looked up and Seren which is my daughter's name um, means star in Welsh so the twinkling lights kind of made me feel like she was there as well and every time I walk past the town hall now, particularly sort of through December and January when the lights are still on, I just have wonderful memories of the place. So the Holocaust Memorial Service is held in the town hall every year. And um, it's not just for Holocaust 
uh, to remember Holocaust victims, but also genocides that took place in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia and Darfur. And uh, you'd think that um, it would be a bit impersonal to hold it in the town hall, but in fact, in that big hall, the Victoria Hall, I think it's called, um, with its impressive high ceilings and gilt work and everything, it's, it's quite an intimate service. So I used to go with my late aunt every year who came over with the kinder transport. It's not just Jewish people who attend. And this year um, I attended with some Muslim friends um, and there was an exhibition in the side room of the town hall um, with all the um, people who came to Leeds on the kinder transport because Leeds was a big, um, uh, took a lot of children in. So, you know, I mean, of all the things that the town hall is used for, that is one of my memories of it. Town Hall sometime in the early 80s, uh, not long after I moved to Leeds, and uh, I joined a choir in Leeds in 1986, the Leeds Festival Chorus, so I've sung with them in the Town Hall many times over the years, uh, sometimes with the organ, sometimes with an orchestra and the organ. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely instrument, it's a fabulous instrument to listen to and to uh, sing with. Richard, can I ask you, um, I mean, it's obviously a wonderful place uh, as a hall to perform in, I imagine. Yes. Um, but uh, I've been asking other people, apart from the hall itself, Victoria Hall, are there any other spaces within the town hall that you really like? The, the Albert Room uh, is, is rather good. That's a, a, near the front of the building and it's a, a large meeting room that sort of goes about two storeys high with a balcony and it's used for sort of various formal events and we've occasionally sung in there and um, there's a balcony up at the top where you can get a ooh, 20 or 30 people on to sing as a small choir that's quite fun finally richard uh, yeah. can you remember one particular performance with the festival chorus in the town hall well i'll tell you that what really sticks in my mind uh, and it's not just one performance we've done it several times is a piece that was written for uh, the Leeds Festival in the 1930s, which is William Walton's Belshazzar's Feast, which is absolutely fabulous work to uh, perform. And, you know, we feel that it's our piece of music and it's one of those that's gone into the, the repertoire of big choirs across the world, a great success. The story about that is that it, it's for a choir, a very large orchestra with extra brass players who stand up behind the choir. And that the festival that year was at the... Um, was performing Berlioz's Grand Meste More, which requires even more brass players. And Sir Thomas Beecham, who was in charge of the festival and uh, had this little-known composer, William Walton, to, to deal with, said, oh, well, he might as well have extra brass. It'll be there anyway for, for the Berlioz. <laughs> so, so he can have some extra brass. And it's a fantastic effect. So thank you so much to those four members of the public we spoke to about their 
memories and associations with the Town Hall and Clark, Deborah Park, Linda Casper and Richard Thompson. So in about 45 minutes, we're going to be hearing an organ recital uh, by Darius Batuwala. Looking forward to that. Um, Lanray, who, uh, who we've still got with us here. You're a young person. I don't want to make any assumptions at all, but are you, uh, are you looking forward? Are you, are you a fan of organ music? Well, I can't really say I'm a fan when I'm not, I don't really listen to it often, but I'm open to the idea. Fantastic. So. And you've probably heard the Chapel FM organ up, at, uh, up in Seacroft. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the one I remember very vaguely is a broadcast group. Um, Ewan um, was doing radio. I can't remember what it's called, but it's um, when you're just making noise with stuff. Improvisation. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm, I'm, I'll find the actual word. Um, but I was just doing um, just sort of sound effects of the organ for um, a radio show. Um, the word's going to come back to me. Don't point. worry about it. It'll occur to you, probably, probably in your sleep tonight. Yes. Don't worry about it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's the Chapel FM organ is from 1878. It's a very different instrument to this one we're looking at here. So, 50 minutes time, we're going to be hearing that organ, but sadly in the absence of an audience in the room. But we're really pleased to be able to broadcast this event to listeners all over the world. Yesterday, I had a real treat. I, I talked to Darius Batawala about the famous Leeds Town Hall organ, and I got a full backstage tour. So I'm sitting in Leeds Town Hall, this wonderful building which is mostly empty apart from myself, Darius Batawala and somebody doing some cleaning up at the top, dusting those wonderful banisters. So hello Darius. Hello. First of all Darius, tell us about your job, your title and what that entails. Well, Leeds City Organist is a, a title that was originally created when the Town Hall was built, and it, it really is the person that, that looks after the organ and looks after all the concerts uh, which include the organ. Um, so we have a lot of concerts here. We have one every week on the organ. It's my job to organise those. I can't do them all myself because there's one every week. I do about one a, one a month myself, and then I'll invite visiting recitalists to come and do the other ones. And also if the organ has to be played with an, with an orchestra, uh, as part of the international concert season, I'll play for that as well. And I also keep an eye on the sort of general condition of the organ uh, and make sure it's, um, you know, sounding as good as it can. So presumably there have been city organists in Leeds right from the start. There's probably some plaque on the wall with your names on. <laughs> well, not as many as you might think, actually, because um, although there were city organists when the hall was created, uh, in about the 1920s they let it lapse um, and then there wasn't another one until they rebuilt the organ in 1972, and they sort of resurrected it then. And as far as I know, there's only three or four others in the country, um, city organists, that, that have this job, so I'm really very lucky to do it. 
Um, so first of all, let's talk about this wonderful instrument, which um, if you haven't seen it, I'm hoping we're, we're projecting some photographs. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So first of all, Darius, why is there a, an organ in this building at all? When these huge town halls were built and there was a lot of competition between different towns and especially cities in the north, um, they were very keen on music as a way of sort of improving the conditions and, and even the morals really of, of the working classes. And it was very hard to get to hear good music because there weren't many orchestras outside London. Um, so the organ was really used to play mostly arrangements of orchestral music and just as a general musical workhorse. It had to accompany these enormous choirs that they had, um, stand in for an orchestra. Uh, so it was really the sort of synthesizer of its day. But also it, it satisfied that Victorian desire for things to be really big and grand. The sound of an organ like this would be the loudest and most sort of imposing thing that most people would ever hear uh, in music. And of course it had to look as impressive as it sounded as well. Just as a matter of interest, when Bach was writing uh, in Leipzig back in the 18th century, um, I mean, would, would that organ have been as, as loud and imposing as this? It would have been imposing in, in a different way. I mean, I think Bach would have been astonished to see an organ like this in a concert hall, uh, because until the 19th century, the organ was really very much a, a church instrument. Um, but yes, the, the those big German organs in the continental cathedrals could really fill, fill, fill the building with sound. And the other interesting thing to remember is that before the Industrial Revolution, the organ in a village would have been by far the most technologically sophisticated piece of machinery anyone would have ever seen and, and taken years to build as well. But presumably off, uh, operated or, or, or powered by people pumping. Uh, yes, if you wanted to go and practice the organ in your local church, you'd have had to find a, you'd have had to pay a small boy a sum of money to come and pump the organ for you. Um, when this organ was built, it, it was far too big uh, to be blown by somebody pumping it or even a group of people. But we weren't quite at the stage of electricity, so they had this ingenious way of making the organ air pressure uh, from the pressure of the water mains, uh, and they had these big machines that turned the water pressure into the air that would blow the organ. That's absolutely extraordinary, those Victorians. Wonderful. So, I mean, uh, when we talk to Phil, uh, Philip Wilby, the composer, who is, whose pieces are featured in today's concert, um, he talked about different organs in different cities, different buildings, having personalities, different personalities. How would you describe the personality of the Leeds Town Hall organ? That's uh, a good question. I think its personality has, has changed a bit over the years. Uh, to reflect the fashion of the changing times. Uh, although it's always looked the same, it hasn't always sounded the same. Um, and uh, because it was rebuilt in the, in the 1970s, it's got quite a sort of assertive, bright, almost sort of a, a brush character, which makes a very, very exciting sound. And the other thing that I, I really like about the situation here in Leeds is that when you think that the organ was built uh, sort of for the people of Leeds, uh, and it still has that feeling because our Monday lunchtime concerts, uh, when things are things are sort of running normally are completely free to everybody so all the people of Leeds can still come and hear this organ um, and that's a great feeling whenever you walk into the building. Absolutely and we will hear some members of the public talking about those concerts um, as well as part of this broadcast because they are much valued here in the city. So in a few minutes we're going to ask Darius to sit down at the organ and play us something in terms of exploring the sounds, the different textures of this wonderful instrument. So maybe we can move across to the seat, Darius.
What's what strikes me looking at you sitting down here, Darius? Obviously, you've got the pedals, you've got the three keyboards there, um, and all these stops. But it is still a, a relatively small little uh, headquarters. <laughs> it's, it's, you're rather dwarfed by these massive pipes. Yeah. So, ha, ha, just describe. Take us through some of these the, the, these stops here. Well, because there are so many different sounds on the organ, they're divided up between different keyboards just as a way of organising them. Um, and partly also so that you can play with one hand on each keyboard, so you could, for instance, play one hand louder for a melody and accompany it with a different hand. Uh, also, it relates to different bits of the organ as you look at it. So uh, it's, this one is quite logically laid out. So the pipes at the bottom, behind the grill, if, you're, if you can see a picture, um, are the pipes on the lowest keyboard, and they sound quite bright and immediate. The pipes in the middle of the organ, on the middle keyboard, we call the grate, and that's really the sort of uh, the meat of the sound. That's, that's the foundation of the sound. So you have these quite, quite big and broad sounds like this. And then at the top, um, and again, the pipes for this are at the top of the organ, uh, the top keyboard is called the swell. The reason it's called that is because the pipes are in a box, um, and the box has shutters on the front, which you can open and close uh, with a foot pedal. So you can actually get quite good crescendo effects getting softer and louder. And the thing we mustn't forget, of course, is the pedals. Uh, and the huge pipes you see at the front uh, are part of the pedal department. Then we get to sounds that are so low you can almost feel them rather than hear them. Um, but you may, I'll, I'll give you an idea so you can just hear a little bit, even though you really have to be here to experience it. at the very top of the organ uh, is a famous stop on this organ uh, where the pipes are laid horizontally it's the loudest stop on the organ it's almost as loud as the rest of it put together uh, and it doesn't get used very often it will get used uh, in in the concert on Saturday uh, particularly in the very last piece sorry if that strained the equipment a little bit <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, and, and certainly the pedal sound, that bass sound, I could feel my insides wobbling around. Let, just, yeah, just if you could read out some of the, the titles, the names on these stops. Well, we've got some quite interesting ones, and uh, some of them quite German, because it, when it was rebuilt, that was, that was a sort of prevailing influence at the time. So we've got a spitz flute and a koppel flute. Those wouldn't have been there in 1850. But ones that would are the diapasons, which make up the main body of the sound, things like the trumpet and the oboe. Uh, you've also got very high-pitched sounds, which you never use on their own, but if you hear them added gradually, they add a bit of colour to the sound. Mm. 
So you don't hear all those notes individually, but they're a way of artificially building up an interesting sound. There's a crump horn here, which is a little on the squeaky side. <laughs> and a couple of quite perky, bright little trumpets. So there's a huge variety of sounds, really. I, I, I used to have a, um, a harmonium, which my dad bought for five quid in a junk shop when I was about 15. Or, and there, I remember there was a stop on that called the Vox Humana. Have you got uh, a Vox Humana? We haven't. I, it's one of the things I wish we did have, but um, was, I'm, I'm hoping to get one in the future. But at the moment, we haven't got one. It was it, very kind of breathy, and actually, I really liked it. It was one of those things that, that, that went rather out of fashion. The organ did have one, but it, it's lost it along the way. Fantastic. Well, um, in a minute, we're going to go up into the organ loft, and uh, Darius is going to explain a bit about uh, how that works up there. It's, uh, we've got to ascend some ladders, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So we've come into what Darius is calling the organ chamber, and you can hear that things are happening in here. There is power. Uh, <laughs> It's all very wooden. There are things intriguingly lying around, bits of music, um, cable, but not dangerously. It's just, it just has that wonderful lived-in look about it. Darius, what is this place we're in? Well, this is the, the lowest level. I mean, I suppose the height of the whole organ is well over 10 metres, so it's quite high, but this is the lowest of the three levels. And originally, when they built the organ, there would have been no pipes down here at all. Um, and there still aren't very many. It's mostly a big box that contains the huge blower, which, which provides the air for the instrument, and then lots of electronic controls. Uh, and there's also people have used it as a general sort of rubbish store as well, but we'll <laughs> maybe, maybe pass over that. There are, there are a few pipes down here, the ones that are controlled by the lowest keyboard, uh, but mostly this is really to do with mechanics and, and pneumatics. Is that the blower in this big uh, cupboard here? It is, yes, yes. Uh, and originally, of course, when they were doing the thing with the water power, uh, all this would have been filled up with these huge wind reservoirs, um, so there wouldn't have been room for much else. Now we're, we're a bit more relaxed for space. When did the when was the water system superseded? Uh, that was in the sort of uh, first few years of the 20th century. I think by in uh, early 1920s, I think it was. Um, uh, that was the last time the organ had any major attention. Uh, after the 1920s, it gradually deteriorated, uh, and by the late 60s, it, it had stopped working altogether. And like a lot of things in the 1960s, Victorian, Victoriana wasn't, and Victorian achievements weren't really valued. No, they weren't, that's right, not just in, uh, but in architecture, all sorts of things, even people's houses. Uh, and I think we narrowly escaped in 1970 having all the pipes taken out of this, or, or 6,000 of them, and replaced by an electronic. But um, at Leeds Council at the time were forward-looking, and they decided to restore the organ, which they did in 1972. Good on then. So, where are we going to go next? Uh, we're going up to the, to the middle level, the main level of the organ. Right. Just watch your head here. Okay, so Darius is going up the, uh, up the wooden ladder. I'm following him. There's a healthy amount of dust. Not Victorian dust, probably. Here we go. Coming up. Oh, wow. This is really interesting. But could you describe what we, what we are seeing, Darius? 
Well, probably even without moving, just looking around, we can see over a thousand pipes here, like a great, a great forest of them. Uh, but it is all highly organised. Because each pipe can only make one sound, if you want to make one sound, you need 61 pipes for that sound, one for each note. So you don't need to do much maths to work out that you need a lot of pipes in total. And they vary hugely in length as well. Just looking from what we can see, we can see ones that are over six feet high, but the smallest ones are like tiny whistles, sort of less than an inch long. Uh, and they're ba barely on the threshold of audibility. So yeah, it's like a great forest of pipes in here. Some of the pipes are about three or four feet, five, six, seven, eight feet long, more bit more, and some are so tiny they are like cigarettes, but you know, roll-ups rather than, <laughs> than than the other ones. And I mean, as I'm looking, we look down now. It's almost like that. I'm thinking of this beginning of a, a sequence in a film where you're flying over the top of New York, and yes, you look down on the skyscrapers. Mini skyscrapers, yeah. yeah. And we've got yeah. wooden ones and metal ones. The metal ones are mostly made of a mixture of, of tin and lead, which is, is traditional for organ pipes, both of which are quite expensive, of course. Right. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, so these are the, 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 the less big sounds, these, the, the, the pipes? These are the sort of... I think this is the sort of main, the, the main sound of the organ. It isn't the very loudest stop. That's at the top, and actually that's too high for us to go and see. Um, but you'll see some of the pipes have got the ends bent over, we call it mitered over, and that projects the sound out also uh, even more. Some of the, the reed and trumpet stops uh, have that. So yes, if you were in here when I was actually playing it, it would be pretty deafening. Right. Well, we won't do that. Not that we could do it physically anyway, because you're here with us. But um, so where, 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 where next? Well, if we go up to the top level of the organ, that's where you'll find the pipes that are enclosed in what they call the swell box. Okay. two things to, to notice up here really. Um, yeah. One is that we're, we're behind the facade that everybody sees in the hall and like a lot of these things in theatres when you're behind it it all looks a bit sort of like a stage set you can see all the joints and yes. the fact it's rather cobbled together and not quite held together with string but not far off. Yes pipes here are all in the box with the shutters on the front and you can control these shutters from the organ. Uh, is this the swell? This is the swell. And right. you were asking about, uh, you mentioned Bach's organ earlier. Mm. Uh, he would have never have known of anything like this. This was a sort of innovation when they wanted organs to be more expressive. And at first, these boxes were very small. This one was considered really huge when it was built. In fact, the, the organ builders were so proud of it when they built it. Um, when they, when they, in the factory in London, they actually hosted a dinner inside the swell box because they were so, <laughs> so, want, so um, proud of how big it was. So the, presumably that the, there are people, I mean, there are organ builders, restorers still alive and kicking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the reason this organ, although, although the work in 1972 is quite old and we're having quite a lot of problems with it, the reason it sounds as good as it does is thanks to Andrew Carter, who does such an amazing job uh, looking after it. And it's, some things, when they go wrong, can be fixed very easily, but some things take half a day of, of, of taking the thing apart and finding out exactly what's wrong because we've got over 5,000 pipes here and each one, each one has its own sort of control mechanism and each one has, each bit of the organ has its own wind pressure as well which has to be reliably sustained all the time. There's, there's a huge amount goes on inside here. Our organ in Chapel FM, uh, we, when we restored it recently, we found the card 
which was from the original family who put it in. They're still the same family. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, they, they often are family firms, these Orkin yeah. builders. Yeah. Um, and yes, there's, there's, and you know, they're still, some of them are still very busy, although it's, it's not the trade it was. But um, there's a lot of new concert halls in China and the Far East that are having huge pipe organs installed. So it's, it's, it's not a dying, a dying business at all. So if you're thinking of uh, a career, then you might want to take up organ restoring. Where that's very interesting that, that, that we might be needing more of them in, in the future. It is interesting, and it's, the, it's a fascinating job because you need to know about so many different things. You need to know about metallurgy, uh, carpentry, joinery, pneumatics, electronics. Um, there's a bit of everything in here. Also, Leeds is quite a special place in that regard because um, there are specialist pipe manufacturers because um, most organ builders don't make their own organ pipes. They're made by specialist manufacturers, and the sheets of metal are still poured out and rolled down wooden cylinders. And there are two left in the UK, and they're both in Leeds. So that's uh, also something for Leeds to be proud of. So thanks so much, Darius, for talking to us uh, about the Town Hall organ, about your experience of it, taking us up in the organ chamber. Uh, how, are you, uh, how are you feeling about the concert? I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it feels like a long time since the lockdown started, so it'll be great to get live music back in the Town Hall. Yeah, so thank you to Darius Butterwaller there for taking us round the organ and uh, I'm sitting here in this wonderful town hall as part of this broadcast, I'm doing the organ recital in about 15, 20 minutes time um, with my two guests, Rachel Unsworth and Lunray Adelaide. So Rachel, you're a geographer, historian, you know a great deal about this building. It's a supremely confident construction. What, what, tell us about the circumstances in which it was built. As Darius said, it's about the increasing confidence of the growing industrial towns and the rivalry between them. And Leeds already had a claim to be the most important place in West Yorkshire, the West Riding as it still was then. And uh, they then used the achievement of building the town hall to kind of prove it. <laughs> and it's true that it was a dramatic new departure. And just before launching the architectural competition for the town hall, there was a comment there wasn't a single building in the town that you'd want to show off to a visitor, apart from some church. So just as uh, Yorkshire Day um, that we're celebrating is about pride in the county, town halls here and in other northern towns were created uh, to give greater sense of identity. And there was also a practical reason, though, for having a, a bigger town hall, because the old courthouse was no longer big enough, and there were more things that the town corporation had to do, so they needed more accommodation, uh, because the town had increased in size three times between 1800 and the middle of the century. So when they had the architectural competition, uh, they got Charles Barry, Sir Charles Barry, to um, adjudicate. And he picked out the entry by this unknown architect, a young man from Hull called Cuthbert Broderick, who wasn't quite 30 at the time. And he produced a design that had, you know, nothing like this had been built elsewhere. So it was a real departure. And um, he designed everything, even the front of the, the organ, in fact. Um, not the pipes behind. That was done by uh, experts in that craft. Had he, had he done much before, Cuthbert? 
Well, he'd done some buildings in Hull, but uh, he's known mostly just for the, the town hall here and then for the Corn Exchange and what we now know as the City Museum um, and some other buildings that were done here in, in Leeds. And then he disappeared off to France uh, in retirement. He didn't succeed in other architectural competitions, strangely. So he's not known outside Leeds. Well, he's certainly done a lot for us here. In fact, probably on the, on the basis of the town hall gig, as it were, he got the other, other three commissions. Which That's is, right. Mm. Uh, yeah, which is how it goes. Mm. Um, so, yes, I mean, it was opened with some fanfare, I imagine. Indeed, with uh, the Queen Victoria and her husband. And the Queen only spoke briefly to uh, praise the active industry and enterprising spirit of Leeds. And her husband was effusive about the architecture when talking with Broderick. And he said, magnificent, magnificent. And he praised the proportions. But at the time, the tower wasn't actually finished. The tower was an afterthought, would you believe? So it wasn't on the original design, but it was quickly realised that they needed something that was more visible. And so it was designed after the competition. That's very odd, isn't it? And, so, and that was very unusual <clears throat> with this sort of concave, these concave faces and then the clocks on each of the faces as well. Well, we'll be coming back to you in a little while, Rachel. I, I must say something about the top of the building because Shona Gallatly, who is um, the communications manager here, was telling me that during the recent construction works, she had the chance to go right to the top of the building and stand up there where that big gilt spike is and touch that spike there and look out over the city. And what a wonderful moment for her. And she works in this building now. So thank you, Rachel. As Councillor Blake indicated earlier, it's been a testing time for our great city and for this building. Earlier, I talked to two people who work here at the Town Hall. First, Katie Pearce, Principal Music Officer, and then Matthew Sims, Head of Arts and Venues in Leeds. have free lunchtime organ concerts every day on a Monday in the town hall, as you say, um, from September to March every year, um, and a similar series of chamber music on a Wednesday down at the College of Music. Um, but just attending those free concerts every week and, and speaking to the to the people that come to those concerts, it, it just shows you how important getting out to a live concert and a shared human experience is to people. Um, we had one gentleman who we were talking to at the end of a concert and he apologised for wittering on. And we said, no, it's fine. You know, we like having a chat with you. And he said, well, that's nice. He says, because if, if I didn't speak to you, I wouldn't speak to anybody else during the week. And that just brought it home, how important it is having these concerts and that they're free and anybody can access them. We, we offer tickets to um, a group of care leavers and we had a lovely thank you card after one of the concerts that we had. Um, this young man had come with the group of care leavers and he, he hadn't really wanted to come in because he didn't think it was going to be for him. It was a concert of songs from West End musicals with Up and North. Um, and he was persuaded to come in because he'd got to the town hall steps and he was there, he might as well come in, you know. And the group leader in, in, encouraged him to come in. And he, he, he sat through the first half of the concert and he was absolutely enthralled. 
Um, and and you went on to write us this thank you letter to say that he'd actually joined a choir and later on we heard from the group leader that he'd been and sung in a concert in London and that it had absolutely changed his life. Um, and that was just lovely. When I marry Mr. I mean, it's interesting with the town hall because we often think of it as the, the heartbeat of the city in many ways. And you know, the, the re reawakening of the town hall is almost emblematic of the re reawakening of the city after lockdown. And I've just been amazed and humbled by the generosity of the members of the public who, when we've offered to refund tickets for book bookings that they had in the future and after Christmas, have said, no, we want to make a contribution to the town hall or to its refurbishment scheme. Uh, which has been absolutely tremendous because it's not just about concerts. You know, we have weddings there, citizenship ceremonies, graduations, uh, you know, internationally renowned artists that you've alluded to, choirs, orchestras. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of fitting that, uh, you know, we start, if we can get going in the new year, we'll have, of course, all the big orchestras back. We, we had a planned concert with the Estonian National Symphony Orchestra in January. Uh, they're based in Tallinn. They first performed in 1926. Uh, that'll be fantastic. Then we've got the Armenian State Symphony Orchestra, uh, the 150th anniversary of the Leeds Philharmonic Chorus, the longest standing chorus in Yorkshire. Just a ton of activity already and waiting to kick off just as soon as we can get going. Of course, the challenge is we need to open in a way where we can get as many people in as possible because all of those events are, of course, have an, an economic requirement. You know, we can't just open a concert that's costing tens of thousands of pounds to 100 people. We want to be able to open the town hall properly so we can make it work. That's the challenge, I guess, going forward. Um, Matthew, before we leave you, um, the town hall, what does it mean to you? I mean, I know you've worked there for years, but personally... Well, I, I think it was that's, that feeling for me is best summed up in a... We did an arts, an, an arts uh, 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 project a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and we sent out hundreds and hundreds of little A5 uh, cards. And we had a line drawing of the town hall on one side, and we, we suggested that people might want to colour it in and just write a little thing about what the town hall meant for them. And we got one back, which, which has always stuck with me, which was from a, a, a serviceman who'd been fighting abroad in Afghanistan at the time. And he just wrote on it saying, when I see Leeds Town Hall, I know I'm home. So thank you to Matthew Sims and Katie Pierce for talking to us there. Now, Katie mentioned that the lunchtime organ concerts that normally take place uh, are free, but on those occasions it is also possible for audience members to make donations. So if you want to donate today, you are very welcome indeed, and Darius will be uh, giving us a little more information about that later on during the recital, which starts in only nine minutes. So if you're listening and waiting for that, not far to go. All the composers represented in the recital you're about to hear have, or most of them, have a Yorkshire connection. It is Yorkshire Day after all. One of them is still very much alive and kicking. Uh, this week I spoke to Philip Wilby about his composition, 
the Ripon Misericords, which we will hear in a few minutes' time, and about the town hall organ. I think writing to the organ, I mean, when you talk about the organ, I'm the president of the Leeds Organists Association. We have about 60 members, and we all play different instruments, and we travel around and see different instruments. And of course, the, the, the most obvious thing about that is everyone is an individual. It's not really like, saying a violin or a piano, where there are striking similarities between instruments. The, the thing about the organ is they are all um, uh, completely separated from each other. Now, the town hall organ is, of course, a, a very large instrument designed to uh, dominate a very um, large and impressive space. And Darius does these magnificent recitals, often completely from memory. So he plays a very wide range of, of music, from uh, historic classics to, as you say, n new pieces completely. And uh, he always makes the whole thing his own. It's full of uh, uh, unusual sounds, is the town hall organ. It's the biggest three-manual organ, in, I think, in Europe. Most uh, organs of its size have four or five manuals, as Wakefield Cathedral or as Ripon Cathedral. Uh, the town hall organ is a bit of a monster to manage because you have to get everything uh, into such a small space. But I'm sure that Darius will, uh, uh, will light us up with his uh, enthusiastic playing. So to, that brings us to your pieces, uh, three pieces from the Ripon Misericords. Could you give us a little background on, on those pieces? It'd be a pleasure, yes. Of course, this is a piece for organ and narrator, so that uh, the individual misericords uh, all have a story, and the story is told uh, by the, the text that goes with the pieces. In Ripon Cathedral, there is a very elaborate choir from the 15th century of magnificent carvings. It's recently been restored, and uh, the pieces... Uh, that he's chosen to play are all placed underneath the seats. It's as it were the world upside down. <laughs> what a wonderful idea, though, to to to, to set to to uh, to use those those wonderful carvings as kind of starting points for your pieces. Has that been done before by anybody else? I, I don't I don't really know that it has, but of course, I if I live to be a hundred and fifty, uh, I couldn't possibly get through them all because there are so many. Uh, I've done six. You're hearing three today. Uh, the original uh, version of uh, the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland is one of the ones I have yet to do uh, that when it's vanishing down the rabbit hole into, uh, into Wonderland. Um, and there are so many. There are 40 angels, for example. That's before we start on all the stuff in the roof with all the roof bosses, the story of the Bible and the Garden of Eden and so on. Magnificent. Thanks so much for talking to us, Philip, and we're really looking forward to hearing those pieces from the Ripon Misericords. And uh, all the best on Yorkshire Day. A great pleasure. So, yes, thank you to Philip Wilby, the composer, whose pieces we're going to be hearing very shortly. So... Finally, before, um, before we go to Darius, a few more words with our guests, with Rachel Unsworth and Lanray Adelaide. So, Lanray, I, we heard earlier you, you've been elected to the Youth Parliament, which is 
fantastic. Congratulations. But you also were shortlisted for another award recently. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so in, um, in not in January, in February um, like this year, it was the Child Friendly Leeds Awards. And um, I'm sure everyone knows about the Manchester attacks. Um, it was an absolutely tragic event that happened. Uh, so I'd been doing a bit of work with um, the Ailey McLeod Memorial Trust and I wanted to kind of give back. Uh, so we ran Ailey's show um, in, on the 19th of July last year and it raised just under £400 um, for the charity. Um, and it was, it was an absolutely fantastic night for anyone that uh, came. And it was just nice to see the chapel full. Um, like, yeah. Absolutely. That's Chapel FM Arts Centre where we, we work up in East Leeds. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it's too early to say you're only 17. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've seen Judith Blake make speeches here in Leeds Town Hall. Do you aspire to be a politician? Uh, I mean, I can't lie, I went on a, a, bit, I went on a bit of a tweeting rampage um, when I was like, um, Prime Minister 2020, no, 2030, I was like, but you know, it's not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ignore it, I'm not, I don't know what the word is. Um, well, you don't want to anticipate too much, do you? Yeah, I don't want But in 2030, well, that's 10 years' time, that, that might be pushing it, 2040, maybe. <laughs> He's not ruling it out, though, is he? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, well, let's hope that you'll be making speeches here. Uh, maybe as Leeds, uh, uh, leader of Leeds City Council in a few years' time. Thank you, Lanray, for, for joining us, and the best of luck sure. in, your, uh, in your career as a politician. Thank you. Uh, Rachel, uh, tell us about Leeds City Walking Tours, because these are fantastic tours that you do, do around Leeds for people who really want to know more about the history. Tell us. Oh, that's right. So many of the people who come on my tours are locals. Some of them have lived in Leeds all their life, but they realise they don't know much about it. I have visitors from all over the world as well in normal times, but I'm really glad that when locals come. So loads of different themes in the city centre, south of the river. I'm doing one next week about the Kirkstall Valley and the, the dye works and more, and then what's there now, you know. So, so many layers to the place. That's my great enthusiasm, how, the, how has the city changed over the centuries? And there are so many more stories to tell. I shall be turning the, the story of the musical life of Leeds into a tour uh, next, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you, you're also a musician, aren't you, yourself? Oh, in a very small way, I play the violin. I don't describe myself as a violinist. <laughs> but it, we have got a wonderfully rich musical culture here in Leeds, haven't we? Indeed, across such a wide range. And I'm, a, I'm a bit boring because I'm only really involved in classical music, but the, there are so many gigs and there's the great Leeds Fest that normally takes place here and brings people from not just all over Yorkshire, but uh, you know, much further afield. Um, and many different genres um, and now we've got uh, people, amateurs and professionals, we've got the Department of Music in the University and we've got the College of Music which on Monday is about to become the Leeds Conservatoire. So, you know, we're, we're generating musicians all the time, the young, youngsters coming up through. And uh, it's very important that they hear inspiring professional standard music, like um, dear Alan Bennett sat just here, just next to where we are now. He um, was inspired in his career by hearing the Yorkshire Symphony Orchestra in the town hall back in the 50s. And you never know what might be the outcome of people hearing inspiring music. Absolutely, and we do have a wonderful education, music education service in Leeds. Uh, I think it's one of the best in the country, and really, I, we, we wish it the best in terms of adapting to these present circumstances and, and the future. But we, yeah, it's, it's a day to celebrate Leeds Town Hall, um, but also our wonderful musical culture in this city. 
So, without further ado from us, we're going to join Darius Batiwala, Leeds City Organist for The Recital. It gives me great pleasure to introduce the first piece in the programme, Choral Song and Fugue by Samuel Sebastian Wesley. Wesley was organist of Leeds Parish Church, now Leeds Minster, from 1849 to 1865. His grandfather was Charles Wesley, and his father and brother were also successful composers. The Choral Song and Fugue is one of a set of three pieces he wrote while at Exeter, originally for chamber organ, but the choral song is, in particular suits the grand style of the town hall organ. Darius Batiwala plays Choral Song and Fugue by Samuel Sebastian Wesley. Thank you. 